From Relay FM, this is Upgrade, episode 345. Today's show is brought to you by DoorDash, Uni Pizza Ovens, and Loopback from Rogue Amoeba. My name is Mike Hurley, and I'm joined by Jason Snell. Hello, Jason Snell. Six, seven, eight. Are we counting? Go. Is that what we're doing? I love, the, I love it At when you do point. the numerology. I love it. Sometimes the episode numbers are just too fun to say in the normal way. Mm-hmm. And this yeah, is that's a good one. I like it. I have a hashtag snow talk question, which is also follow out, and it comes from Ryan. And Ryan wants to know, Jason, what is your preferred device appearance, i.e. light mode, dark mode, or automatic switching on your iPhone, iPad, and Mac? Oh, boy. So last week on Connected. Yes. You, you fellows discussed the, your, uh, your standard device preference, mm-hmm. options, whatever. And uh, the, the response was basically like you were, you were sort of uh, one person on the dark mode side, one person on the light mode side, and then one person in the middle. In the middle. Mm-hmm. Except that I revealed that I too am also in the middle, but it's a different middle. Yeah. Um, so I am dark mode on my iPhone always it's an oled screen it's beautiful mm-hmm. in dark mode i am light mode on my mac always because you know even when you put the mac in dark mode so many things are assume correct <laughs> that it's light like yep. i'm looking at my google doc here and like it's just it, it it you end up with these squares of just blasting whiteness in the middle of the dark mode it's it's bad i don't like it um, but on my iPad, I am uh, automatic change with time. Okay. So, so uh, during the day, uh, my iPad's in light mode, and at night, my iPad's in dark mode. And I have app, my apps are pretty great at um, at changing with the mode on my iPad. Mm-hmm. Um, like Twitterific, which I use a lot, it's a dark theme and a light theme, and it it changes automatically, and that works great for me. So I'm. Uh, I'm uh, a little mixed up, just uh, here and there, depending on device. I choose what's best for the device and how I use it. That's how it should be. So we were starting to get a lot of people send in to us their preferences. So Stephen created a survey. I'll put a link in the show notes. If you want to participate in the connected mode survey, you can tell us if what you use, dark, light, or auto, on your three main devices and on this week's episode of Connected, we're going to reveal the results. Uh, I have access to it. I'm obviously not going to share, but I am very surprised with the results so far. They are not at all what I would have expected. So I recommend that you also submit your uh, preferences. Links in the show notes. And thank right. you to Ryan for that hashtag snow talk question. If you'd like to send in a question to help us open a future episode of the show, just send out a tweet with the hashtag snow talk or use question mark snow talk in the Relay FM members discord. Last week was 20 years of Mac OS 10 and uh, all of my Mac buddies, which includes you and, and Steve, uh, were Hello. posting and, and releasing lots of various things. You had uh, a selection of articles and things that you were linking to on Six Colors, and you were also uh, talking to John Gruber about it on the talk show as well. Mm-hmm. It's true. Big. Uh, I mean, there are lots of anniversaries from... Uh from OS 10 release. Right? Honestly, if, but to be honest, it feels like the last couple of years, like last year and this year, it's just like lots of anniversaries in general, like big ones. It feels like things just keep, I don't know, maybe it's something about... No, it is, well, so Jobs came back to Apple. Yep. 
in 97, um, took charge mid-year, killed the clones toward the end of the year. Early 98, the iMac. And, and so in that period from like 98 to 2001, what happened was they got their hardware act together on the Mac side, started making progress there, although it was more like what could they do relatively quickly? So the iMac and they made the G3 towers, you know, colorful plastic instead of boring beige. And they did a first take on the laptops. I mean, I went through all of this when I was doing my um, 2020, uh, 20 Max for 2020 research. <laughs> 2020 for 2020. 2020, 21 for 21, 25 for 25, 25, 25, 25. Anyway, it goes on and on. Um, so it was an interesting period, but it was really like a getting up to speed period in that first few years. And keeping in mind, um, just for people who missed this, this is the 20th anniversary of OS X being released. Apple bought Next in order to integrate OS X as their future operating system strategy or the Next operating system as their future operating system strategy. In December of 1996, so, <laughs> I mean, it was a long time. It was essentially four years where they had to get up to speed. Think about that. Think about how many years between the purchase of Next and the release of OS X. And yes, mm -hmm. there was Rhapsody and Mac OS X Server, which was very weird, both very weird. And then there was the... Uh, developer preview and developer preview next and next developer preview and then there was the public beta and then there was 10.0 and then by the way this fall will be the 20th anniversary of 10.1 which is the first version that i felt like you could actually stay booted into and use <laughs> right so it took them years to to go from next purchase to shipping product years um so that was what they were doing right they were doing get OS 10 out the door and prop up the Mac in the meantime for it to be viable. And so like the iMac and all the stuff they were doing. The next phase though of the Steve Jobs return era was like the stuff that they could more strategically work on because they weren't just trying to stay alive and get the bridge to the future. And that's where you started to see the silver laptops, <laughs> right? Because that was a preference, not not the black laptops, the silver laptops. And they and they worked on that. And the iPod came out, and that changed everything, obviously. And they pushed on the iPod for a while. And then in the background, they're working on a tablet that they decide is going to be a phone instead, and it leads to um, the iPhone. In six years from the release date of OS X 10.0, six-ish years um so they found another gear in that in that decade but also just keep in mind that like if you really look at it it was like four or five years where when jobs came back which is think about that that's a long time four years where apple uh i think because the imac came out people that that gave them something to focus on <laughs> but like OS 10, it, it took them a long time. Mm -hmm. And then after four ish years, that's when the jobs, uh, transformation of Apple and its products really happened. And that was that next decade. Right. So I, I just think it's funny that OS 10, you know, it seems like there, there's this milestone. It's like, aha, that was it. But like, if you were living through it, 
it was like three plus years of Apple dithering, trying to find an answer for classic Mac OS and failing and then them buying next. And then it was another three or four years before they actually shipped something that people could use. So um, it was a weird time. But we celebrate that time. <laughs> yeah, no. I, yeah, I know. It's I mean, it, it's uh, it, it's huge, right? Because when they when they finally did ship that. That is the foundation for everything uh, on the software side that they've done since, more or less. Like every, other than the everything. iPod, yeah, everything. Other everything. than the iPod, right? Mm-hmm. The iPod was a, a licensed operating system, right? That's weird, but that's what it was. But like Mac, iPhone, iPod, or Mac, iPhone, iPad, Apple TV, Apple Watch, HomePod, I guess. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, it's the uh, Apple it's Watch. Everything. It's the basis of all that stuff. So this week ends March and begins April. Mm. We are still waiting on a couple of things that we spoke about a few weeks ago. Uh, no WWDC announcement, which makes it the latest that this has ever happened. That this has happened in re- recent recorded history for good reason, right? But just funny to me. Um, mm-hmm. Makes me wonder when they're actually going to have it. Like when in June? Is it in June? Who knows? You know, I had this. I had this thought. I was just like walking around thinking about this today. I was like. What if they just were like, here you go, right? <laughs> it's like it was never, right. like, you know, like I was, I'm reminded of when they released um, iOS 14 within 24 hours, right? That like right. just one day Surprise. all of a sudden it's like, here's everything, right? Like they don't need to make us all sit down and wait for a certain period of time. They just drop it all at once with no pre-announcement. So- it's funny to think about it. They won't do it that way. And the reason they won't not. do it that way is they're going to want to crow about whatever is great in mm-hmm. their next OS releases. And they're going to want to control the message, which is why they're going to they're they're do like, that's the advantage of the WWDC format is you can uh, sort of tell the big picture to people and make the big announcements. And then you can get into some details for developers. And then you can like roll out the sessions and make the downloads available. And so you can control the rollout of the information and control the message a little bit. And they like that. And so I think the, the format of the conference works even without the conference existing, but you are right. They can do it whenever they can do it in June. They can do it in July. They can do it, you know, in August, they can do it whenever they want, but it'll probably, my guess is it'll probably still be sometime in June. Mm -hmm. Unclear whether it'll be back to early June or whether they're like, yeah, late June was fine. Let's just do late June again. I don't know. But I think, I think, um, for WWDC, that's what, um, I, I think it works. I think it makes sense. It's, it's the one other than the iPhone, I guess it's the one event on Apple's calendar that really can't be done via, uh, press release or no, just a quick video that drops on the on the site. Yeah, in the same way that like you know I'm, I I am just joking around. Like I don't believe any of that. Like because in the same way that they, they, they you've got to give people some kind of notice because people need to block it into their work calendars and stuff. You know, yeah, a lot of people that they take a big chunk of that week off to get up to speed with the new stuff so they can get working on it straight away. Right, like it's a normal part of the flow. And in the same way. Uh, Apple need to be able to allocate their engineering resource for that period of time. So, but you know what what they do have now is like they can just work out whenever is best for them. They don't have any external dependencies, right? This year, um, probably the same as last year. Maybe last year they they were struggling a bit, right? Because they was trying to work it out. So this year they've had an entire year to plan out when it's best for them. But they don't need to announce it in March because. 
people don't need to plan travel. And the only reason they announced it in March last year is because everyone was going, what the hell are they going to do? And so they had to kind of tell everyone. So we'll find out. I reckon probably sometime in April um, or maybe early May, kind of when the date is and what the format is going to be. Yeah, and I think I think you're right. I think the most important thing is for them to give people time to anticipate and to mark their calendar because mm-hmm. they know their developers are going to be um, consuming that kind of information. So I think it's helpful for their developers. And we are also expecting a event of some description. I just want to ask you, actually, do you think that they will have an event or just release products by press release? I don't know. I mean, this is, I think, going back to what I said about how WWDC and, uh, and I should, this is why people call it WWDC is because it's easier to say. And I always, uh, mm, but I don't want to call it that. I don't want to call it that, Mike. Like it. Uh, the problem is I can't say Developer it. conference. You could get away with it. I can't get away with it. WWDC, the worldwide yeah. developer conference, which by the way, is annoying because worldwide is one word. So it's really WDC. There is no second dub in dub dub people. Well, the funny thing is, one word. It's actually faster to say Worldwide Developer Conference. It's less syllables than WWDC. Yeah, Worldwide Developer Conference. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the iPhone event are the ones that you gotta have, right? Everything Mm -hmm. else you don't you don't gotta have, right? Like if let's say Apple has. Apple Silicon iMacs using the M1 chip. And let's say Apple has AirTags. <laughs> and let's say <laughs> Apple has... That was really good. <laughs> a, new, a new iPad Pro. Okay. Mm-hmm. Great. Well, yeah, they could do a video and say, hey, we got a Mac and an iPad and these tag things and yay. Are you getting it yet? It's all one product. It's all... <laughs> Oh my god! It's, that's right. It's an iPad in the shape of an iMac that is trackable. So if yep. you carry it on your back, people will know where you are because mm-hmm. they'll say, "Who's the dummy uh, carrying an iMac on his back?" Uh, so they could do it, right? That's the traditional event thing. I don't know if I was at Apple, I'd say don't do it. I'd say don't do it. Don't do really? it. These, I, here's the thing. If you can't tell a cohesive story about how these products are connected. So unless like, I, you could do the iPad Pro and the iMac together and say, Ooh, behold the power of Apple Silicon. I, I get that. But, you know, the traditional model where you kind of like do a store update and then throw out a, a, an accessory product and then throw out a, an iPad and then throw out a Mac. It's like unnecessary, right? You can do, and it, you can roll them out at different times, right? So if like, you could very easily say, why don't we on, let me open my calendar here. Why don't we on April 6th, roll out the iPad Pro and on April 13th, roll out the Apple Silicon iMac and on April 20th, roll out AirTags or okay, mm-hmm. we'll just roll them out in a press release on April 6th and nobody will notice. Um, why not? Why not give them their own moment in the sun rather than sticking them together? It allows you, if you're Apple, to brief journalists separately it's separate lists anyway, but brief journalists separately on the two products. You get two product stories. You get people talking about your products on two separate weeks. I think there's a lot of value in that. And if the, in terms of the video production, like literally it's separate videos anyway, right? They're producing separate. It means Tim has to record a different intro. 
That's literally all it means. Everything else is going to be its own little segments that were produced separately anyway. So that that's my counter argument. That would be my argument that they don't need to do an event. They could just do an announcement and brief media and all of that. And, and like, it doesn't have to resemble a physical event at all. And they've had a year now to reconceptualize what their product rollouts are. They already were stepping away from having every product have a collected event. I went to that MacBook 16 inch, uh, uh, event in, well, not event media briefings in New York city. That was my last, last time traveling for an Apple thing. Um, you know, they just, they just had people come for a briefing and then they announced the product. Like they, they have been changing this stuff a while now. So while it's nice, it gets everybody buzzing about what Apple's going to do. Um, I don't know if it is better for them to roll out two products as discreet as an iPad pro and an iMac at the, at diff, at the same time. Unless they're part of the same story. Unless they, they're like, oh, but you don't understand. They have these things in common now. And we want to explain like the iPad. But I, I think it's a stretch for an iPad Pro and an iMac to have I will just common. make the, the counter argument that everyone else is making to you of a Twitter right now, which is the Apple Watch <laughs> iPad Air event. Yep. That they did in September. Sure. I mean, they can do it. That's, that's traditional. I'm just saying... Do they want to do that? Is that the right move for them to just roll that stuff together? Maybe it is. It would be... Here's what I'm trying to caution against. Just because Apple's done it before doesn't mean they're going to do it that way again. Mm -hmm. And I think it's worth having a moment to say, does it actually make sense? Or is it more like the momentum that has them drop a couple of different products together maybe they like it maybe they've decided that it's better to load up an event with announcements and get people buzzing about it and having lots of stuff to set one message that is oh apple is just all over the place doing stuff isn't that great maybe they have decided that marketing wise that's actually a better fit than uh the rolling thunder <laughs> approach where it's like whoa it's a new ipad oh no now it's a new imac uh across weeks mm-hmm. i don't know I don't know. Um, I, I think it comes down to internally their debate about, I, I assume they have debates about this stuff, um, the efficacy of a live stream as a product rollout for a, a product that is not a flagship product. Because that's really what it's about, right? Is do you want to do this as a live stream? Even though, yes, it's all pre recorded, but you put it out live and the whole world tunes in at 10 a.m. Pacific and watches this product announcement in real time and talks about it on Twitter. And it's like watching the Super Bowl. It's an event. And if I were arguing for that, that's what I would argue for. I would say, well, you know, you never get the chance to have the entire eye of the world on you to wonder what you're doing and hang on your every word and talk about it on Twitter. And it's not the same if we just drop a video. I, you know, although I, I, I guess my counter argument would be, why don't we just do two of them? <laughs> we'll do one this week and one next week. But the, the, the counter to that, see, I'm arguing with myself here, Mike, yeah. would be people are going to get tired of it. They're, you can't do that many of them. So let's roll them all together. So ultimately, I think it comes down to the, that, the value of that live stream and having it happen in the moment, which is as close as you're ever going to get in COVID era to having 
people hanging on to the words of an Apple executive on a stage somewhere on a live stream. It's the closest analog to that. And if that works for you and you think that's more uh, efficacious for your product rollout than grabbing the headlines one week and then grabbing them again the next week and focusing it all on individual products, then that's the call. But I think it's, I don't think it's a, it's a, a, a gimme to have it be the traditional way. I think that you could argue that the rolling thunder approach is, uh, is actually a better one for letting each individual product shine. Well, I think whatever they're going to do, we're going to find out real soon because iOS 14.5 has been in beta for a while now, and it includes a lot of stuff that they're surely itching to release, you know, like the mask thing, the app tracking transparency thing, which I promise we will talk about at some point on this show. (laughs) Like it's just something that I I want to talk about it with you, but I just haven't found our way in yet. And I still have a, a theory that it may also include features we haven't seen, like how they included the pointer support. New hardware. So that's what I'm saying. I think that there is is clearly, I feel, like a hold on 14.5 for the new hardware coming. Right. And last week, the most recent betas of iOS and macOS came out, and they both have references to unreleased iPad Pro and iMac models. Yeah. Um, so I think Steam is starting to pick up, and they clearly want to get this version of iOS out there, I believe. But it's waiting for either... It's waiting for these products, basically, however they're going to choose to do them. It's waiting for the iPad, essentially. Mm-hmm. And what is that going to be? And yeah, I will also say the most important thing is for them to announce and do a live stream of an event so that we can do a draft. Well, because so if they just drop a product, yeah. we can't draft. There's no drafting no, no of draft. like a yeah. press release that just got surprise posted. Like There's no way to game that. We nope. don't get to talk that and i enjoy our drafts so well, i mean like we could but we don't want to like because that would require doing like a draft now eh. for us anything that could happen over the next six months which i don't want to do that it doesn't work i think so that is the second part if they announce an event whenever they do we will do another emergency draft episode because the assumption will be that they would stick to the uh it's happening next week um kind of cadence which is not what it used to be the reason we used to be able to fit the drafts in is they would give two weeks notice because people would have to make plans but now people don't need to move anywhere like apple started last year just it's hey there's an event next tuesday or whatever so who knows some point over the next couple of weeks there might be an additional draft episode as well this episode of upgrade is brought to you by loopback from rogue amoeba loopback is a tool to route audio between apps on your Mac. It has an intuitive wire-based interface that's easy to use. It makes it super easy to visualize where you want your audio to go. Combining it with multiple sources into one is super cool stuff. Loopback gives you incredible power over how audio flows in your system and replaces hardware that can cost hundreds of dollars. Honestly, trying to get these kinds of workflows in place before I'd found Loopback was incredibly time-consuming and frustrating. Loopback makes it simple. Loopback is useful for podcasters, live performers, tabletop gamers, and more. There are many times I have used Loopback myself to bring the audio of two microphones into my Mac, creating a single audio input for Skype, which is basically otherwise impossible. So if you use a USB interface with microphones, Skype will only ever see one of them, no matter how many you plug in. It's 
very frustrating, mm-hmm. has caused me many uh, hours of trying to fix things before I understood what the issue was. Loopback solves all of this. And because Loopback is so clever, I can still record the audio separately of both of those microphones in an app like the wonderful Audio Hijack to get the recordings that I need while still being able to use Loopback to pipe them both in together into Skype. Just trick Skype, super clever. And in this era of Zoom calls, Loopback has found incredible popularity being used to add audio to your system. Like say if you wanted to add sound clips to your next family quiz, as well as improving the sound of your mic by teaming it up with Audio Hijack. When I say your mic, I don't mean your version of me, uh, but Loopback does improve my audio quality for my guests (laughs) sometimes. Uh, Jason, I I understand. I think you were the person actually who first told me about Loopback. I'm sure you have something to say. Yeah, well, you mentioned the Skype thing. I think it's still true that Skype only will record, even if you have a mixer with multiple microphones plugged into it, it'll only record the first one. We had to deal with that at Macworld. It was very unpleasant. Um, And we had to use like a cord (laughs) attached to a plug on the back of an iMac. It was very bad because it was before Loopback existed. Yeah, I use this all the time. Um, Soundboards, you're exactly right. I use that um, when I'm I'm doing uh, soundboard. My microphone in Zoom or Skype becomes a Loopback interface a loopback input so it's combining my microphone and the output of another rogami app farago that is the soundboard app but the primary use uh, i have for loopback is when i'm doing live streams so live video streams especially of total party kill the tabletop uh, you know actual play uh D podcast that i do over the incomparable we do live video of those and you end up with a scenario where i'm running uh, OBS, let's say, uh, a video app, right, for the live stream. And I need to route my microphone and the audio from Zoom into OBS. And the best way to do that is to use loopback to do it, because then I mix those two things together. And you only do it once. I create a new thing in, in my uh, loopback. It's called YouTube Stream Source. And the contents are two things uh, the audio out of Zoom and the audio out of my microphone. And that's the input that OBS uses. And so it gets a nice mix of me and the people I'm talking to. And that's what goes out over the stream. And, uh, you know, you can't, <laughs> can't do it without that. It would be a really less interesting live stream if all you heard was me. It would be like one person um, talking to himself. <laughs> it's not so good. Not so good. So I use Loopback for all of that. It's great. If you ever work for any audio, be it professionally or just for fun, you should check out Loopback. It is an indispensable tool in your utility belt. Go and check it out right now at macaudio.com slash upgrade21, and you'll get 21% off when you use the code upgrade21. This offer applies to the various bundles that Loopback is a part of, including the Loopback and Audio Hijack bundle and the Ultimate Podcast bundle. This is fantastic. These deals are so good, and to get that discount is awesome. Once again, go to macaudio.com slash upgrade21 and use the code upgrade21 for 21% off. Our thanks to Rogue Amoeba for their support of this show and Relay FM. Let's do some upstream news. Upstream is where we touch on some of the goings-on in the streaming media landscape. Uh, you have I, what I hope is the final report of 60 Minutes on Paramount+. Plus. Yeah, I have a very important update, Mike. Which is just that after all my complaining about 25, 25, 25, 25, 24, 24, 24, mm-hmm. the Paramount Plus taking 60 minutes, a show that's been on the air for 50 years, and sorting all of its episodes by uh, episode number without uh, including the season <laughs> to differentiate them, has uh, three, four weeks after the launch of Paramount Plus 
been uh, fixed and now Hooray. it displays its seasons. And so I'm getting on 60 Minutes the shocking list 26, 25, 24, 23. Incredible. It, it, actually, uh, it actually works. However, I do have a new Paramount <laughs> oh, Plus complaint. Okay. Since we're detailing the, uh, the problems of, of this streaming app, I'll just put it in there. Uh, we, la- we, we talked last week about how um, the commercial break in the 60 Minutes clips is burned into the uh, video file rather mm-hmm. than being part of the ad breaks. So the, if you're on the no ad version, you still get the, uh, pl- will will more of this story after this? And then there's nothing there, uh, which is dumb. And it was there on CBS All Access too. So, so that's no good. Um, but there's uh, another issue that they've got that's similar. We've been watching The Stand, which is a miniseries that they released in December, but we just got to it now. So we're watching it. We have to pause it. And we, in fact, we end up leaving the app and we, uh, we come back later. And the app says, oh, you're at eight minutes. Resume, right? And you think what it's going to do, like every other, literally every other streaming app ever. When you click resume, it's going to jump into the show. Oh, no, 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 no. What Paramount Plus instead does is play the same video that it plays when you start a show, saying that this is a Paramount Plus or CBS or whatever original. And then it jumps to the point in the show where you're watching it before. So they've built this bizarre branding pre-roll thing into the... I imagine it's a bug. I hope it's a bug that even when you resume a show, it it does the, you know, ego logo play uh, before it drops you back into your show. So imagine if you were watching a Netflix show and you went away and you came back and you said resume. And instead of the show resuming, you got the Netflix uh, vroom thing. (laughs) It's not good. Don't do that. So I don't know what's going on over there, but, uh, but I think at you, this point, 60 Minutes isn't sorted. Paramount so is just introducing bugs specifically for you, so you keep I, giving them conversation on the episodes. I, so. I think the truth is that they spent, they've spent the last three months rebranding their, all their technology mm-hmm. and have not been focused on anything but mm-hmm. that. So I hope that they get better in the future, because I actually think that they've got a lot of good content on that service, but um, the Apple TV app is not so hot. Black Widow and Cruella will be coming to Disney Plus and theaters simultaneously. Cruella in May and Black Widow in July. These will be premiere access, so $30 when they hit Disney Plus. Clearly, Disney, uh, they, got, they got tired of waiting for Black Widow. And this, this is like, I, they should have done this months ago. I don't know if this was the route that they were going to take. I don't know why they didn't do it a long time ago, but they finally saw sense and they're going to be releasing this movie in multiple ways for people, whoever they want to get it. I think they were hoping, right? Of I think it's they hope. Were. It's the, it, what is, what does Ted Lasso learn? It's the hope that kills you. Yep. Um, I think, and I think I've said it on this show before, but I know I've said it in my personal life a lot, which is in the last year, what we've learned is that if anybody bets the um, under on COVID, bet the over. Yep. Like, it's never the under. It's never the under. And here is another example of that, which is like, well, maybe, maybe if we pushed it back a little more, push it back a little more. And finally, they have reached the point, like Black Widow, it's like a year out. 
now from from where they where they did it. it they keep pushing it back and they've got other movies coming and so they finally have said well we're going to push it back again two more months we hope that means that there are more people in movie theaters but even if there aren't they aren't uh it'll be on premiere access and premiere access 30 bucks for black widow or cruella um this is disney busting the the theater model with home viewing for theater prices Mm -hmm. which is not what warner brothers did with hbo max but um but i think it's i think it's it's necessary for them to do this and um you know a lot of these companies are just trying to figure out how do you deal with the fact that theaters aren't back and even when they're back they're not going to really be back so i i think it's still a big moment because black widow any marvel franchise they they're designed to make lots of money in movie theaters mm-hmm. and so for them to take it and put it and not as a disney plus throw in but to to you know they're going to do the same thing they did with milan but but still but still let people have a way to see it and i would almost bet you that that's how i'll see it is that my family and i will gather together and we'll pay 30 dollars and we'll oh, yeah. watch black widow it's just kind of funny in a way that in july there will be more movie theaters open than any other point in the last six to nine months. But oh, they're yeah. still going to release it in on Disney Plus because they have to, right? Because it's, it's not about these places being open, Ethan. It's what is people want to do. Right. What's the percentage of the population that's comfortable going to a movie theater? And I think that will increase over time, but I think it it's going to take time. Yeah, of course it will. But it's, it's just funny to me. It's like Disney... People would have wanted this more six to nine months ago anyway. Like, yeah, I, I'm looking forward to it. It's like, you know, I love every Marvel movie. So, of course, and I will do the $30 thing. Cruella, I do want to see, but I don't know if that is a movie that I'll pay the money for rather than just waiting for it to come on Disney+. Plus. But, like, I do want to see that movie. I saw the trailer of it and was really surprised by it. I thought it looked super cool. But I might just wait for that one. But uh, Black Widow, I'll be paying for. And then Pixar's next movie, Luca, is going to be coming to Disney Plus without the extra fee in June, like they did with Soul. I think what we've learned is no Pixar movie will they make you pay for, right? Yeah. But they'll. But everything else, yes, you must pay. I think there. It's interesting, right? Because I, I'm sure Disney would like Pixar to make money in theaters. But I think also what's going on here is. Disney recognizing that one of Disney Plus's big advantages over other streaming services is the Disney brand as something that appeals to families. And adding Pixar movies in uh, to Disney Plus just adds to Disney Plus's credibility as a streaming service with lots of content for for families with kids and teenagers. And uh, I think in the long run, Pixar is not going to be a Disney Plus only studio, but this is an example where like Pixar, there's enough added benefit there. um, And there are no Pixar TV series properly yet. There's they're coming like Pixar originals, like there are Marvel TV Mm -hmm. series. So, yeah, like I I just you can see the difference here, right? That, That Pixar movies for now are sort of like, okay, we'll just put those on Disney Plus. And I think. I think it's about the appeal of the family um, family audience to Disney Plus as a service. I also think it's just been a matter of what Pixar had 
because the Pixar movies they've released this way, I think there's been three of them, right? Was it Outward or Out, I think was one of them, um, if that was what it's Onward, called. Onward, I think Onward. is the name of it. And then Soul and Luca. These are yeah. new IP. They're like completely non-tied into other Pixar movies. If they would right. have had a new Toy Story, it would have been a Premier Access movie, right? You would think so, yeah. Right. But it's, I, I think it's just the case of like, maybe they think people wouldn't necessarily pay for $30 for something that they're unsure of and maybe more people will watch them and it will maybe will get more buzz if it can be seen for free. I don't know. But I would expect I that any if they would have had any um, of these like bit movies that were of existence, successful properties, you would have had to pay for them. And we mentioned HBO and Warner. Uh, Warner is coming back to the theater. They've made a deal with Cineworld and Regal to actually show their 2021 movie slate in places where theaters can open. Day and date HBO Max, mm-hmm. yeah. So if you want to see it in a theater or don't have HBO Max, you could go see it in a theater. And then going forward from uh, 2022 onwards, they're going to be guaranteeing a 45-day exclusivity window. So this is the case of the cinemas being like, hey, don't you go getting any ideas. <laughs> and Warner said okay. Yeah, this is... I think this is part of the fallout of the the complaints about it too, where they yep. were like, "Well, this is for twenty one and not, and we don't know about twenty two and 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 they're saying, "No, no, no, seriously in twenty two although the fact that it's a forty five day exclusivity window like this is the this is where we're headed right is there's still going to be blockbusters, there's still going to be in theaters, but the window is going to be much more limited uh when there's a window, and when there's not a window, what it's going to be is like the premiere access. I think that's going to be the model is mm-hmm. either the movie is in theaters or you can pay $30 to watch it at home or the movie's going to be in theaters for a short period of time and then it will pop up on streaming services. Like I th- I feel like that's inevitable, the shortening of the window or perhaps the replacement of the window with like a combination of theater plus expensive at home. Do you and they'll think experiment. that this may possibly suggest that HBO Max didn't shoot through the roof with their movie thing that they did? No, I I don't think that's what it's about. I think that my understanding is HBO Max has actually done pretty well by having all these premieres in there and will continue to over the course. I think think it's a combination of, um, again, it's the the hope (laughs) that that the theater experience is going to be back in 2022 to the point where they can make the money that they expected to make. Mm-hmm. And um, and in 21, I think it's the idea that things have maybe gotten a little bit better uh, with vaccines, especially mm-hmm. that they're going to get more people in seats later in 2021. So you might as well make that deal so that, that theaters need things to show and you want your product to be in those theaters. Um, so even if it's on HBO Max, not everybody has HBO Max, not everybody wants a TV experience when they want, they can go to a movie theater if they're comfortable with it. So I, I think they're just trying to um, gauge the uh, the way. I mean, it's a big corporation. They're trying to gauge the way to maximize revenue, and they're hoping that they can maximize revenue again in 2022 by putting things in theaters exclusively. And we'll we'll see, and we'll see what Disney does. Like I'm I'm really fascinated about what Disney is going to do with their their stuff that currently is premiere access release, like Black Widow. So like the next Marvel movie. What's that going to be? Are they going to be confident enough in theater for it to just be theater only for a while? Are they going to be not confident in theater so that they do premiere access? Or are they going to split the difference and offer like premiere access three weeks after it's in theaters or something? Something that that really is um, 
you know, the next Marvel movie, the the next long delayed Marvel movie. I, I'm I'm really interested to see what Disney does. And meanwhile, James Bond <laughs> just waits out there in the wings. Yep. <laughs> They're going to end up releasing the next James Bond movie before this one. <laughs> That's right. It's going to stay there forever. Oh, boy. Mark Gurman is reporting that Apple has been working on a, quote, rugged Apple Watch for extreme sports aimed at athletes, hikers, and others who've used the device in more extreme environments. This is a product in consideration for either this year or next year and will be an additional model but would likely feature better impact resistance and increased protection, possibly rubber and or plastic for the casing. What do you think of this? I love the idea. Um, I, I love the idea. I think Apple should do more, more differentiated products, right? Like Apple Watch is going to be Apple Watch. Mm -hmm. They're not going to really change the functionality of it. But why would you not make more versions available? This is a little bit like our iPhone conversation. The idea that originally there was an iPhone. And now Apple has a whole range of iPhones for you to choose from, right? Like having a uh, a sport Apple Watch, uh, you know, that is that is rugged and padded and it's more, you know, it, robust than the existing Apple Watches and that'll be a choice based people wear it based on usage but also based on look and why not why not do that it actually makes a lot of sense and I have to assume that they've also heard if this product is real um, that they've also gotten feedback from Apple Watch users who are like yeah well my problem with the Apple Watch is I and then they tell a story about how they destroyed their Apple Watch doing something and that's when apple leans forward and says hmm interesting maybe there is a market for that and I, my my guess is that the people who are who are either destroying their apple watches or taking their apple watches off because they don't want to destroy them is a teeny tiny percentage but i think apple might look at that as like planting that's like a little a little seed and then around that seed is other people who don't do that but aspire to that level of activity and then around that is uh, another slice that is, uh, that's the wrong metaphor, but a another mm -hmm. layer that is uh, people who just like the look and like feeling like they got the big, you know, they put the extra big tires on their truck. Um, and that's how you market a product like that, right? You, you, you're not just marketing it to the people who actually need it. You're mar marketing it to the people who aspire to it or just like the look of it. And this makes total sense to me that you wouldn't want every Apple Watch to be like that, but the Apple Watch is old now. The Apple Watch is six years old. It's time for product variation like this. And this, you know, and it also, yes, it makes more sense than a, a gold, a solid gold Apple Watch. So I like the idea a lot. I think it's great. The report on Bloomberg references the Casio, Casio G-Shock, which I have one of those. Stephen bought me one for my birthday, and I just love the look of that watch. I don't wear it because I'm going on a bicycle and flying down the side of a mountain it's just yeah. a cool look like if you did fl fly down the side of a mountain you'd probably wear it yeah and but I, and I, i'm sure the watch would survive better than me in a uh -huh. situation like that they'd identify you from your watch mm -hmm. like i i agree with what you're saying that more apple watches to appeal to more aesthetics is a i think a very important thing for this yeah. i think more important than making product variations in their other products. Like, I don't need 
my iMac to look any different other than color, right? Like, whatever. But watches, I mean, this is the thing I've said a million times now, watches are a style choice. And I don't particularly love the look of the Apple Watch. Um, I might actually like it more if it leaned into the fact that it's not this sleek thing. In my opinion, right? Like, yeah. In my opinion, the Apple Watch is not a very sleek, um, <laughs> understated thing. Right, not to begin with, right. So I would like it to lean into the fact that it isn't, right? And be chunky and bright and all that kind of stuff as a rugged watch. And I think they you got to start somewhere. And they started mm-hmm. by focusing on the core product and by defining the uh, the core product. But eventually you have to get beyond that, right? Mm-hmm. I do wonder, though, if they actually need to make a specific watch for this or if it could be an accessory for existing watches, like a little case that you snap on. But I guess if they made it its own thing, they could give it specific features for this type of watch that make it more uh, practical for people that wear it. It would not surprise me if they if they made a uh, a sports watch and had some custom faces mm-hmm. or stuff like that, right? Just to be like, aha, and you get this, because they've, we've seen them do that with other product variants on Apple Watch. But yeah, I think, it's a, I think it's a great idea. Now that they've got the core watch down, um, it's it's probably past time, but like it's definitely yes. time for them to, to do variations on it. And I feel like Apple of the last few years has really embraced the idea that you provide more options because people don't always want this, you know, core model. Like it used to be sort of with iPhone is a perfect example, right? There was the iPhone and there was the iPad. Um, But now we have options and options are good. And I I know people will often give Apple a hard time and they're like, oh, remember back when there was four products in a square and now they've got all these different product variations and so confusing. It's like, yeah, it's also like, and that can be taken too far where you've got, kind of ill-defined products but like there is a lot to be said for saying we have four iphones and or five or six depending uh and choose the one that has the price and the features that work for you as somebody who's using a little iphone right now like i appreciate that and the apple watch should absolutely do that it's perfectly positioned as you said it's already kind of chunky so you know go with it yeah i think I liked something that John Gruber said too. You know, we, we were talking about like who this thing could fit with. It's like about people that put phones in cases for protection. Well, they might not want to wear an Apple Watch in case they break it, and this would be a more protected Apple yeah. Watch. It's like there is, I think that there is definitely room for other things. And going back to what you were saying about the quadrant thing, the reason Apple had to do the quadrant is because they had loads of products, and loads of those products were really bad. That's why they needed to do the quadrant, right? Like, we yeah. have a lot of work to do, so let's simplify the amount of products that we offer. Apple now offer lots of products, but they're all pretty good to excellent, yes, and, right? <laughs> like, and, and, and clearly defined. Yeah. You know, and clearly defined. Like, I, I can tell you what the difference is between those four iPhone models and really mm-hmm. five or six iPhone models. Like, they are clearly different. And there is some con- customer confusion that happens. There's no doubt about it. Apple is good at communicating and has all of those retail stores. And I feel like Apple is pretty good at helping people through the confusion 
But the trade-off is even for a little more customer confusion is you create a product that's going to take another you know slice out of the market and convince them that this is the the product they want. And for Apple Watch, I think that this is a really good thing for them to try. Yeah, I mean, why not? Right? Like they've, as you said, they've had multiple versions of the watch before, but they haven't really been clearly defined. Uh, I feel like. You know, like if you, even when you're going back to say when they had the sport model and the Apple Watch model, they had different features, like the glass was different and stuff like that, as well as some of the body materials. Um, but they, they, it was hard to explain, like, do you want the eye, like the ion glass or the sapphire glass? It's like, I don't know, what do I want? So, you know, bringing back the sport model, or I saw some people call it like, ref, maybe call it like the Explorer model, which I also kind of like. I think either of those will work well. And plus, the Apple Watch now is so much more built to be used in these environments. Like, even just having the cell coverage, right? Like, that if you were out in the wilderness and you got yourself into some trouble, well, you could just call emergency services, right? Like it's, it really is a very cool product for this and they could add a feature or two that made it make more sense even still as well as just changing the case. And then we could have like something that's really kind of uh, purpose-built for a certain type of use case and why not? So I'm, I'm all on board with this. I think it's a good idea um, and I could, you know, and again, it's like, like you're saying with the iPhone, one of the things they had to do to capture more people was give them more options. And I think just choosing between some, like the two different sizes and case materials is not really enough or choose the old one. Like I, I don't really think that's necessarily enough to capture a larger slice of the potential Apple Watch market. What you mm-hmm. would need to do or what you would want to do is actually offer them purpose-built products for different types of people right and they you know they can do that that's the beauty of it right is that the stuff that apple varies is mostly the software and the insides of the apple watch especially right Mm -hmm. like it's it's a platform on which you could build a bunch of different watches in fact that's what the series to me that's what the series nomenclature means is the fundamental technology so they could come out with a bunch of variants on the Apple Watch series whatever and say here is you know extreme sport and here is diving <laughs> and you know like mm. they could do that and and for fashion for utility like they could do that and you know you want to start small maybe but i do like the idea that they use this as a platform and and vary it uh, why not? Why not do that? Especially since in terms of support, it's all the same, right? I feel like that's the concern is always, well, we do too many of these. We got to support all these different models. But like, if they're all Series 7, then you're not, you know, you have to support the different models. I get it. They're 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 slightly different in terms of their physical shape. But like, in terms of what does it work with and all that stuff, it's just Series 7 or whatever. And that is uh, the same across all of them. I think that's... Uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I think this is a, a real important kind of generational step for the Apple Watch to to branch out. So I hope they do it. This episode of Upgrade is brought to you by DoorDash. Dinner? Check. Deodorant? Check. Morning pick-me-up from Duncan? Check. Get everything you need 
wherever you need it, whenever you need it with DoorDash because DoorDash connects you with the restaurants you love right now and right to your door and also grocery essentials. You can get these with DoorDash now too. Get drinks, snacks and other household items delivered in under an hour. Ordering is so easy. You open the DoorDash app, choose what you want from where you want and your items will be left safely outside your door with their del- contactless delivery drop-off setting. They have over 300,000 partners in the US, Puerto Rico, Canada, and Australia, so you can support your neighborhood go-tos or choose from your favorite national restaurants like Popeye's, Chipotle, and the Cheesecake Factory. Jason, can you tell our listeners why you love DoorDash? Uh, pre-order is my, is my go-to move where I say when I'm not hungry, I say, this is what our dinner is going to be. And then it, I set a time and then it just arrives at that time because you're not waiting around. Come on, come on. I'm hungry. You haven't ordered hungry and ordered more than you actually can eat. Mm-hmm. Uh, instead, do it, do it a little bit in advance when you're not hungry. Everybody agrees on what they're going to get. You set a time. And then at that time, when presumably you're hungry, your food comes and then you eat it. It's no waiting and uh, you're not making the mistake of hungry ordering. So I, I recommend it. I also saw a house the other day that has a little box outside their front door that says DoorDash, put it here. <laughs> and I thought that was actually very clever. It was like a little DoorDash box. Like, just put it in here uh, for the contactless delivery. Uh, they'll leave it at your front door. That's my experience. But you can just uh, put a box out there if you want. For a limited time, our listeners can get 25% off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter the code UPGRADE2021 in the US or UPGRADE AUS if you're in Australia. That's 25% off, up to $10 in value, and zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store. Use the code UPGRADE2021 in the US, UPGRADE AUS. If you're in Australia, one last time, upgrade 2021 for the US, upgrade AUS for Australia, 25% off your first order with DoorDash, subject to change, terms apply. Our thanks to DoorDash for their support of this show and Relay FM. So in honor of the 20th anniversary of macOS, I thought we could uh, tackle a little Mac-focused topic today. Okay. And I thought that maybe something we could talk about is one of the most exciting things to happen to the Mac in a very long time, which is Apple Silicon, kind of what, how we're enjoying it and how we're using our Apple Silicon powered Macs today and then kind of looking ahead for 2021, 2022, how we think it could expand in our mm-hmm. own personal use cases. So how often are you using an M1 Mac now and which one? Or, so I have the MacBook Air mm-hmm. and... You know, my setup for a long time has been I use my i my iMac Pro at my desk. And then when I'm in the rest of the house, I use my iPad Pro. And that's still true, more or less. Um, there is this little wedge in which the uh, MacBook Air has, has fit itself into my life. And it's mostly... That's good because it is a little wedge. It is a little wedge. Uh, it it it. Uh, that's how they get you. Mm-hmm. So it um, some of it's for testing of like, let's see how this works in Apple Silicon. That still happens. But also, what I found is it's the computer I am now using because I want some want to do something that is way easier to do on the Mac or can only be done on the Mac, and I don't want to sit at my desk. Mm-hmm. And that could be because I. Uh, didn't turn it's the weekend and I didn't turn the heater on and it's cold in my office and I don't want to be cold or it's a beautiful day outside and I want to go outside. Um, 
so that, you know, and again, this is the luxury of having two Macs is that I have the ability to do that. What it hasn't done is replace my iPad for most things. It just, it hasn't done that because that's why I use my iPad is I prefer my iPad for those things. I'd say the other thing that it's done is made me more confident or enthusiastic about bringing it um, at, versus my old MacBook Air. So remember when I mentioned earlier um, when we went, when I went to, to um, New York for that Apple product launch, the 16 inch MacBook pro um, the, I had to bring my MacBook air with me because we were going to do podcasting and I, it was like podcasting on a deadline. Uh, didn't want to mess with it. Right. Like didn't want to mess with the, the weird iPad setup I would have to set up way easier to just bring the MacBook air for one task, which is recording that podcast. Um, future versions of that like when i went to the rendell house for a week and and we did a we did a uh, uh an upgrade from there i just bring the macbook air now because it's it's modern and fast and i trust it and it's not that big and so in a lot of cases it's sort of like because i'm not on airplanes right I, I i'm generally driving anywhere i go um and so I don't have any space considerations or bag considerations. And it's just sort of easy to bring this little tiny laptop and know mm. that it's the entire podcast studio in one little space. So it has done that. Like my devotion, it'll be tested when I'm on planes again. But for now, my devotion to the iPad recording studio, where I have to do lots of stuff in order to get the iPad to, to record. And even then it's sort of substandard versus what I can do on the Mac. For now, I've just sort of set that aside and I'm using the MacBook Air for that because it's, you know, it's no longer a, the old MacBook Air, it was old and not updated and not great. And, and I took it with more reluctance and this M1 MacBook Air, it's fun and it's an opportunity to play with the M1 MacBook Air. So I don't, um, I don't, I'm not reluctant at all to bring it around. Were you using... Like, has this replaced a Mac that you were using before then? I replaced that old MacBook Air with a new MacBook Air. Okay. That's that's what I did. I, I still had the MacBook Air that I brought with me when I left IDG. Yeah. So it was an i7, but it was a 2014 i7, mm-hmm. early 2014. So it was getting up there and back several OS generations. And every time I opened it, I opened it so rarely that it would have a slew of software updates it had to do and all of those things. And I'm using this one a little more often, so I'm keeping it more up to date. And obviously it's running the latest operating system and all of that. Um, so yeah, it's uh, it's a little different, but what it hasn't done is really wedge itself. I, I'll, I'll give one other point, which is when I'm writing about the Mac, it used to be a challenge if I want to write on my iPad because I want to change the scenery, I want to go outside mm-hmm. or I want to stand in my kitchen and write on my iPad. Um, the one kind of writing that's not that great on the iPad is when I'm very specifically writing about things that are happening on a Mac <laughs> because I can't check them Yeah, because I'm not on a Mac, yep. right? What's the name of that menu? What's the name of that preference? Let's take a screenshot. Can't do any of those things when I'm not on a Mac. So there are times when I will write on it on the laptop, but they're generally when I'm writing something about the Mac and I'm like, oh, I should just write this on the Mac because... I need to ref- reference the Mac <laughs> and I have not so far gone that I bring up my iPad to write and keep the Mac next to me as a reference point. That's that seems silly. silly. It does. But you weren't doing this before. No, before I would either 
uh, write it and leave a lot of TKs in it saying, oh, you know, what's the name mm-hmm. of this menu? <laughs> Look that up later. Take a screenshot later. Um, or I would uh, I would return to my desk and just write it at my desk, even though I didn't want to be there because that was where the Mac was. See, laptops, it's amazing, isn't it? Like, a la- imagine a Mac you can take around with you. But like, I really love my iPad or my uh, iMac Pro and the big screen. And I love that mostly my Mac stuff happens at my desk in my office and not in the rest of the house because it does provide a little uh, mental uh, separation between work. Even though I do some work out in the house, um, it 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 helps to have certain stuff where it's just that lives on the Mac. And the Mac, you know, the MacBook Air lives in here too. I don't have it floating around in the house most of the time either. Mm. I mean, I've made reference to it on the show recently, but my M1 MacBook Pro is my main computer now and has been since I bought it. Lots of changes during lockdowns and even before that, I was finding myself drifting towards using the Mac as a larger percentage of my computing. And then when the MacBook Pro came into my life, I was just in love with it immediately. It's just so great. And... It's kind of strange in a way because I'm not sure if I can adequately tell you why this Mac makes, I find it such a joy to use, but it's just really good in every possible way. You know, like people say, oh, the battery life's so great. Maybe, but I use mine plugged in all the time. So, because I use my MacBook Pro in clamshell mode. Right in multiple locations, either in my home office or in my studio when I can be there. So like, I never really use it as a laptop. Let me tell you, if I had a big Retina external display, which I don't, I don't own an external display. I, well, that's not true. I have like a 15-inch external display that's like 10 years old, 15 years old. Mm-hmm. I don't own an external display, a modern Retina external display. If I had one, it's possible I would use my MacBook Air all the time mm-hmm. because it's so close in performance to the iMac Pro. It's not yeah. quite there, but it's really it's close. close. Enough. In all the things that I'm doing on my MacBook Pro, it handles it better than my iMac Pro, really. You know, because like I'm not, you know, I'm still editing and recording and all that sort of stuff on my iMac Pro. That's the same as it was before. Um, because this is where all the gears hooked up to, and it's going to stay that way for the for a foreseeable future. We'll talk about that in a minute, how that might change. But really, my my MacBook Pro is it's just my computer now, and I, I really love it. It's everything; it can handle everything I throw at it, and you know, I, I and I'm enjoying using the Mac for what the Mac is good at. You know, like everything's there it's all available and i don't i can multitask more easily um i do i have things about multitasking on ipad os that i do still prefer to the mac just visually um but i'm just it basically was like there was a sliding scale going on of my ipad and mac usage once i started working outside of home more and then this MacBook Pro just kind of tipped it over the edge. And maybe we'll talk about this in a minute, but I don't know if it could change again. Like, I'm not so much like, oh, working from the iPad, that's so stupid, right? Like, I'm not in that mode. Like, I don't feel that way. It's just this is where I am at right now. 
and there could be something in an iPad Pro or iPad OS uh, that could completely change this again. But just for my current working setups, a Mac fits in it really nicely, and it just so happened that, like probably my favorite mac that i've ever used came out <laughs> right like the the m1 macbook pro is as good if not better than any mac that i've ever used not just from a capability perspective but from my own kind of attachment to it you know it really does remind me of the good 11 inch macbook air in how i feel about it where a lot of the time i can't even can't, couldn't have even explained what it was that i loved about that computer it was just really great and fun to use so looking ahead okay, 2021 2022 i'm keen to know from you kind of what device changes do you think you're going to go through like what are you looking to replace this imac pro it's good and i, I and i love it but there's going to be a time probably later this year where Apple is going to release a high-end iMac with Apple Silicon, and it's not going to be an M1. And it's going to be hard for me to say no to that. Because it's likely that something's going to come along this year that is going to smoke this computer, like yeah. just obliterate yeah. it. And it's, it's coming up four years old. Mm-hmm. It's three-plus years old now, which, you know, it's, gonna, it's got years of life left in it, honestly. but. For the stuff I do where I'm encoding audio and video and stuff like that, and also for being, you know, for using Apple Silicon, you know, I'm going to assume that an M2 or whatever, M1X, whatever it is, the next chip is going to, keeping in mind that this is the low-end original, because the iMac Pro ended up with like 8 and 10 and 12 and like lots of different core counts. This is the $5,000 8-core cheapest iMac Pro. So it's already slower than that MacBook Air in some measures. In other measures, it's not. And that's because it is an 8-core Xeon and it's got a lot of capabilities. But there are also things that Apple has done in the operating system and in the M1 chip where certain tasks, including like video encoding and stuff, like there's secret special pathways that the Apple Silicon Macs get to do and the Xeon doesn't even have some of the secret special pathways that Intel builds in for encoding, right? Because it's it's not a consumer chip, it's a pro chip, and so mm-hmm. it's different. So a lot of the stuff I work on, it is faster, but some of the stuff I do, it's slower than the Air. So I, I fully anticipate that the next iMac that comes out is going to destroy it in terms of speed. Because already the high and last high-end Intel iMacs destroy it in terms mm-hmm. of speed. So I I assume that that is going to be the thing that pulls me over and has me replace my iMac Pro. I am open to the possibility of Apple, if Apple releases a standalone Retina display, buying something else. Well, could that something else be, though? Well, I mean, a standalone Retina display, <laughs> for one. Right, but what does that plug into? And that well, and that's the question, yeah. right? Like, like there are the rumors about like the little Mac Pro, mm-hmm. um, but also there are you know the, even you know a Mac Mini or uh, or the MacBook Air. Like, there's possibilities there. 
there's some possibilities there that would complicate things. But right now, my my gut feeling is uh, iMac. But you know there are there are complications. If there was a standalone Retina display, I could maybe get a Mac Mini and use that. And then when there's a fancier standalone, you know, Mac device later on, I could roll that Mac Mini in as my as my new server. Like I have options, but uh, the one I'm watching as somebody who's using uh, a big iMac is the big iMac. That the, probably the M1 rumored M1 iMac is probably not going to be enough for me. Because I I'm used to the big iMac now, but um, but I'm watching it closely. I I don't think my iMac Pro is going to survive 2021 as as my primary Mac. It'll yeah. it'll get handed down or sold or donated or something, but I don't think it's going to make it. Uh, I think I don't think it's going to be hovering over my desk on uh, New Year's Eve. Yeah, I think we're in a similar boat. Like I I fully expect that. I will have made a purchasing decision at least by the end of 2021 for what is my podcast production machine, you know, the the, the beefiest machine in my lineup. And I, and I, like you, I don't know what it's going to be. I'm certain it's not the first IMAX that's shown off, yeah. right? Um, I expect that this will be a product announced in the summer, whether it goes on sale in the summer or not. I mean, because really, my idea will be that Apple announce the most powerful uh, iMacs and the Mac Pro at the same time so I can make the decision with all of the sure. information because I might want the little Mac Pro just because I think I would think it would be really cool if it's what I want it to be. But if they release a high-end iMac, like with a new chip generation in it, you know, more powerful, that kind of stuff, I think it would be really hard for me to resist it. You know, because I love the iMac. I love everything the iMac's about. I believe the iMac's going to go through a radical design change, which is going to make it desirable. And Hopefully. if they have some version of it that is the the spiritual successor to the iMac Pro because I don't think there will be another iMac Pro even in name like right. it, it will just be iMac and this the top of the line iMac will be really powerful um or you will be able to spec it to be very powerful right with whatever I don't know what what it is you would change but you know uh that's going to be a hard thing to to resist because I know what the M1 can do and the M1 gets scarily close in uh, output. But the the thing is, though, my M1, it's nicer to use Logic. Logic is more responsive in use on my M1 MacBook Pro than it is yep. on my iMac Pro. But the reason I go with the iMac Pro is because the processing of things is faster. And so, you know, I, I can live with the kind of jitteriness of Logic, uh, but it frustrates me when I'm waiting around for things to happen, and so I stick with using the iMac Pro for this. So, but I know that any iMac is going to be a step up in some ways than my current iMac is. So, I whatever the most powerful one is going to be, that's going to be really tempting. But I'm just I'm just not sure if that's going to be 
the machine that I will most want in the Mac lineup to replace this one. It depends on what Apple's plans are. I'm also really interested about what the next Mac Pros could look like, like the the replacement for the 13. I'm very intrigued about that one. Mm-hmm. But we'll yeah, see. there's a lot. It's just it feels like for anybody like us who is probably not willing to commit to having their entire Mac workflow today go to an M1. We're in that state where we're just waiting for the next thing mm-hmm. that will do it. And it's close, right? Like, again, it's close. If I had a, a display comparable to my iPad or my iMac Pro that I could use with my MacBook Air, I might do it. But um, if they can increase the the performance and then you know a new iMac and all of those things then then it gets really interesting so i'm i'm hoping too i'm hoping that this is the year i i i'm hoping that i don't get to the end of the year and i'm like uh, it's none of this stuff is good enough i need to wait another year i'd really rather not it feels like that would be a surprise if that was the case right i i feel like i'd be surprised but we will wait and see i think yeah. one of the reasons i am so into the Mac right now is because this is where all the excitement is for me. Just like in in talking about this stuff, looking at this stuff, following it as a fan as much as as a person who needs to talk about it, it really does feel like the most exciting prospects and the most exciting potential products that Apple will release over the next couple of years could well be Macs. And I find that excitement hard to ignore, right? So I am naturally gravitating yeah. towards these products more than, than some of the other stuff they're doing. I really want the new iPad Pros to blow me away because I love the iPad Pro and have loved it since it started and I use it all the time. But I got to be honest, what's been rumored, it's not that interesting. No, it's, it's not. Um, it's like, oh, for me, it has to be an accessory faster. now because the rumors right. are are like, okay, this looks really good. But I'm not, like, mega into this. Yeah. Whereas if they come out and they say, oh, new iPad Pro, and it's got Thunderbolt, and it supports external displays using this new software update, and yep. here's an external display that we that we sell now that also works with your M1 Max. Now yay, I'm excited, right? Like, then I would I be excited. And then yeah. there would be trouble um, mm-hmm. in the incomparable incorporated bank account. There would be trouble then. <laughs> But, uh, you know, failing that, it's going to be like, yay, another year, another kind of minor iPad. Like, and again, I don't want to, I'm not saying the iPad Pro is bad because it's not. In fact, the problem is that the iPad Pro from 2018 was so good. Fantastic. That it's still so good. Yep. And the, the 2020 update kind of didn't do anything. And even Apple admits it because Apple made the Magic Keyboard, which was the real interesting product, work with the old ones. Because it was pretty much just as good. Mm-hmm. And the rumors about this one are like the big one will have a nicer screen. Like, again, it's not bad stuff and it's a great, great product. But it's also the fact that the 2018 model was so far ahead and they're not seemingly ready to take it another leap forward. I think in part, perhaps, because they've been 
they were so far ahead that they could be like, that's good for a while. Let's focus on something else. And the job of Apple is not to entertain me with iPad Pro updates, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's not ultimately, and this is where I think some people get angry at Apple for no good reason, is their job is not for us to have things to talk about that are interesting. Like their job is to make good products and sell them. And the iPad Pro 2018 was so good that they can, they can kind of coast on it for a while. They really can. Um, but on the Mac side, they seem to have focused a lot of attention on turning over that entire product line. And so, yeah, that is really exciting to think about and talk about. When it comes to the iPad Pro, though, I have, or the iPad in general, I have very high hopes for WWDC. Like, not hopes, expectations for a big iPad OS release huh? this year. But that is a story for another day, I think. Another day. Today's episode is also brought to you by our friends at Uni Pizza Ovens. Uni is the world's number one pizza oven company. They make surprisingly small ovens that are powered by your choice of either wood, charcoal, or gas, letting you make restaurant-quality pizza in your own backyard. Uni Pizza Ovens are super easy to use and really portable, too. They will fit into any outside space. Uni Pizza Ovens can reach temperatures of up to 900 degrees Fahrenheit, 500 degrees Celsius, which enables you to cook restaurant-quality quality pizza in as little as 60 seconds this high temperature separates these pizzas from those that you can make in your home oven it really makes the difference one of uni's most popular models is the coda 16 this is a gas-powered oven that can cook up to 16 inch pizzas with an innovative l-shaped burner at the back that gives you even heat distribution throughout making that cook even better. Uni Pizza Ovens start at just $299 and they have free shipping to the US, UK, and EU with two of their coolest models being the multi-fueled Uni Karu which can use wood, charcoal, or gas or the Uni Coda 16. They also make a great app as well so you can perfect your dough recipe and giving you loads of pizza making tips. Jason, do you need pizza making tips or have you got that all down with your Uni I like to believe that I, I can always learn something new about pizza. I like to believe that. Um, and in fact, after decades of baking uh, pizza on a pizza stone in a 500 degree oven in my house, it is uh, still a learning experience with the uni pizza because it is so much hotter. And so there's more technique to learn and uh, adjusting my uh, my pizza dough recipe and all of those things. Um, but yeah, you can't beat the the little blackened edges and stuff like it is. It is not an experience that you can get in your oven inside. You can try it out for yourself right now. And listeners of this show get 10% off their purchase of an Uni Pizza Oven, which is up to $50 on a code of 16. Just go to uni.com and use the code UPGRADE21 at checkout. When you're there, you'll also find a great range of accessories from peels to cutters to oven tables. Everyone is making pizza at home right now, especially in lockdown and this is the perfect tool for the job which also explains why uni pizza ovens are in such high demand don't miss out uni pizza ovens are the best way to bring restaurant quality pizza to your own backyard just go to uni.com and use the code upgrade 21 for 10 percent off our thanks to uni pizza ovens for their support of this show let's do some hashtag ask upgrade questions to finish off today's show the first comes from fabrice who asks I tried to use the HomePod Mini as my Mac speaker, but found the AirPlay two-second delay very annoying and making it unusable for video conferencing. Is there a way around this? I looked into this. I don't think there is. And it's, I find nope. it really annoying. I find this really annoying, Jason. This is it. This is this is the AirPlay delay is not great, and it's made for playback of cached media. 
a warrior via sync and it it's yeah this is the reason or one of the reasons why i'm still using uh an ipod hi-fi with an aux in plug from my headphone jack on my ipod or my uh my mac pro my imac pro sorry what am i doing on my imac pro is uh there's no delay and i can use it for everything it's better right and and the all of the airplay stuff you know, they, they try to work around it, but if you want instantaneous, it doesn't do it. It just doesn't do it. I just don't understand why the company that can give me the AirPods experience can't also give me the same experience with the HomePod Mini. Because I've been using the HomePod Mini when I'm at the studio. I have one of those at the studio. And when I'm at the studio, I've been using it as my speaker for my uh, MacBook Pro, just like I'm watching videos or whatever. And it's just uh-huh. really nice because it's a nice little speaker for that. But like, I don't understand why they can't just do whatever connection they're using via Bluetooth plus the secret source for the HomePod when it's connected to a Mac. Like, It just feels like that makes much more sense because with AirPods, I mean, it's all just connecting to the same product and it's doing doing it fine. Like, I know that they want to have it be AirPlay or whatever, that and that's cool, but, like, there's so much space inside of that little thing. Just throw a Bluetooth chip in there. I don't know. Like, yeah. I, 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 it's, just a, it's just surprising to me that it really kind of makes it a crummy experience because, like, if you're watching video and you pause it, the audio keeps playing... <laughs> And then, you know, it's like it's like a night. Yeah. It's a little bit of a nightmare to try and use them. So it almost feels like you shouldn't be able to use them with a Mac. Like set it as your Mac output, or or that they should have a low latency mode, or they should have some sort of a mode where certain stuff comes through the Mac speaker if you want instead because it's low latency. Like there, there are other things they could do, but yeah, it's it's definitely a hole and the Mac. Mac support of of AirPlay and HomePods has never been very good, and it's it's still not. It's disappointing. Yep. Sam asks if a person is deciding between the 11 inch and 12.9 inch iPad Pro, what are the key factors and usage patterns you recommend considering? I'm thinking about replacing my 10.5 inch iPad Pro at some point, and that larger screen is compelling, but will I lose the holdability? So I want to make my uh, pitch here for why I think the 11-inch iPad Pro is the better iPad Pro for most people. So for me, in my usage, I think that the larger iPad Pro, its main focus is multiple apps at once. Like that's its largest benefit because if when you put apps side by side with the bigger iPad, you get like a full two full app experiences. So like if you want to be using multitasking and all that kind of stuff, and if you are working on an iPad Pro, you want to be using multitasking, it's amazing for that. Uh, the keyboards are full size. So use the Magic Keyboard or the Smart Keyboard. They are full size keyboards. If you're writing a bunch on it, it's great for that. The larger iPad Pro, I think, is... I think it's it's primary as a work device. Like if you want to replace your laptop with an iPad, this is what you should go for. Same for artists as well. It's a bigger canvas, so you benefit from that. Uh, the larger iPad though, I think it, it is bigger, it is less holdable, it is heavier. I think if you are using an iPad primarily for like 
this is my secondary device. This is a device where I maybe uh, watch some videos. I read some books. I read some comics. Uh, that kind of stuff. I think that the smaller iPad Pro is is best for that. If like you can still work from the smaller one, and I have and do. Uh, when I used to travel a lot, that's the one I would take. I would take the smaller one because it is easier to move around, and you can do it all. The keyboards are perfectly fine, but I was getting the smaller one in those instances for additional portability. I almost kind of felt for me that the larger iPad was kind of a home device because of its size. But it, I think that the the larger one is best for working. The smaller one is best if you want to also work on your iPad Pro, not replace your laptop with it. That's my uh, kind of the way that I come down with the two. Yeah, and I mean, I think you're reasonable. Um, I think we've agreed on this podcast that the 11-inch iPad Pro is the better choice for most people. Mm-hmm. Um, that said, I don't agree that the that the larger one is is about working with multiple apps at once. I don't multitask that often, and when I do, it's nice to have that space. But um, I do think typing on it on the larger one, that software keyboard, is way better. Yep. And I think you know having apps have more space in general is really nice. I get used to the size of the large iPad. I mm-hmm. am. A surprised so um lauren has the smaller ipad pro and i pick it up and i think that i've picked up a little toy ipad and um so what i'm saying is you get used to it um everybody's different everybody's tolerance for this is different i think you can use a 12.9 on its own and then you get used to it and you use it and you know you you have had both models so you go back and forth, and so the differences are very clear to you, which gives mm-hmm. you a, a unique opportunity to talk about their differences. But I will say, as somebody who committed to the 12.9-inch iPad Pro, um, I don't think about it being large. I don't think about it being heavy. I It is what it is, and I, and I love it. So um, I would say you need to ideally hold it in your hands and and make a judgment about it, but it's great. Um, And one of the reasons I bought it is for things like watching video and reading comics and things like that, where you've got a bigger screen, it's that much nicer to have the bigger screen. But I will admit that the smaller one is uh, probably going to be more popular with more people, and that's fine because you really need to uh, see the benefit in having that larger screen in order to pay more money and carry around a larger object everywhere you go. Um, And even I am aware of its size in the sense that when there are rumors about larger iPads, my immediate response is, oh no, please no. (laughs) Like I really liked it when the 12.9 inch iPad Pro got a little bit smaller by shrinking the bezels rather than making the screen bigger. That was really nice. Mm -hmm. I don't need my iPad to get any bigger than it is, but I do like the larger iPad. And Todd asks, if Apple brings back MagSafe, this is for the Macs, obviously, do you think it will be a cable with USB-C on the other end, or will they go back to having an integrated power brick? Well, the integrated power brick was terrible because it meant you couldn't use MagSafe with anything but Apple's brick, which mm-hmm. then plugged into a wall. And also meant that if you were, if you would have to take multiple power bricks if you yes. were going somewhere. 
So uh, I th- I say no. I think we're past that. I don't think Apple's going to hardwire anything into a brick anymore. I think we're in. We live in a world where there are little blocks with USB C connectors in them, mm-hmm. and that's what it's going to be. So I say no. I hope so. Um, and in fact, I have a theory, Ooh. which is that Apple may actually try to put data on it. So that in addition to plugging it into a power brick for charging, you could plug it in to, say, a monitor or a hub, and it would pass through data as well. So you use one cable for power and data. Wouldn't that be nice? But even failing that, even if it's just power, I feel like they're going to put it on uh, USB-C because uh, they want all their power bricks to use USB-C. If you would like to send in a question to help us uh, close the show and to get the answers that you're looking for, just send out a tweet with the hashtag AskUpgrade or use question mark AskUpgrade in the RelayFM members Discord, which you can get access to. If you support this show, go to GetUpgradePlus.com and you can sign up. When you do, you will get not only access to lots of wonderful benefits from RelayFM for being a member, but if you sign up at GetUpgradePlus.com, you will also get longer ad-free versions of every single episode of Upgrade. And we talk about lots of wonderful things. On today's Upgrade Plus segment, we're going to be talking about some suspected working from home changes and how that's going to be in the post-pandemic world. Talk about a little bit more about what we think Apple might do. So go to getupgradeplus.com to sign up and you will get those awesome benefits you and thank you by the way if you have we really really appreciate your support i would also like to thank uni doordash and rogue amoeba for the support of this show and before we go let me tell you about one other show here at relay fm clockwise where hosts dan moran and micah Sargent invite two guests every week from a diverse pool of tech professionals and cover four tech topics in 30 minutes go to relay.fm clockwise or search for clockwise wherever you get your podcasts and i have heard through the whispers in the wind that host emeritus Jason Snow is returning to Clockwise this week. Yes, I'm guest hosting Clockwise this week, Mike. Now, those were those exact winds that I was talking about. That was a dramatic re- uh, mm-hmm. recreation of them. If you'd like to find Jason online, you can find him at sixcolors.com, theincomparable.com, and Jason hosts many shows here at Relay FM, as I do too. You can go to relay.fm slash shows to find those. Jason is at jsnell, J-S-N-E-L-L. I am at imike, I-M-Y-K-E. We'll be back next time. Maybe next Monday. Maybe before. Who knows? You'll find out if you stay subscribed to the show. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Until then, say goodbye, Jason Snell. Watch what you say, Mike. And keep upgrading the show. That's not how it goes. Ah, missed it again.